Hello and welcome to Gamer's Thumb, the first of a monthly podcast about all things gaming. Coming up on today's episode, music from Brittlehead Girl, reviews, news and moans and groans, and I give you the opportunity to have your say on any game-related subject. First off, for those of you who may not know, I have a Facebook page. Shock or what? Just search for Gamer's Thumb. On Twitter, at Gamer's underscore Thumb, and obviously email gamers underscore thumb at hotmail.com I want to thank everyone who has given me help getting this off the ground at long last it's taken me a while due to my old PC going pop bang fizzle and life getting in the way damn you life and thanks to the peeps that have liked my Facebook page all this time let's kick off with the first track from Brittle Head Girl Yeah. 
you want to find out any more about any of the bands featured, just go to our Facebook page and linkage will be yours. For my first review, I wanted to do a classic. A game that woke me up to what playing could be like. Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. It was a point and click adventure by LucasArts, originally released and in 1992. It played very much like Monkey Island 1 and 2 and most other point and click adventure games of the day. And this was, for me, a time of maturing. What Indy offered was a slightly more grown up way of playing. There was still plenty silly humour in there but it felt somehow presented in a more mature way. The plot did feel like a proper indie movie, and while the dialogue was pretty standard, it fitted well. The puzzles were just as challenging as any other adventure game at the time, no more so, no less so, and at no point did I feel like something was just shoved in to get you moving. It all felt like it belonged. So, for Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis, I would give it 6 out of 10 thumbs. By no means the best of the era, but a must play for any RPG lover. You can play this game in a browser, find linkage on our Facebook page. Coming forward in time for this review, Fallout 4 is the latest in the series. While this one did not light up my life like previous ones, it is still a damn good game. Filled with bugs, and as we all know, that is normal for Bethesda games. Although, oddly forgivable, because the games are really good. I love the building aspect of the game, although you can avoid that if that ain't your bag. And with the DLC and now mods for consoles, I'm even more enraptured by the game. The chances of getting bored with it are very slim, in my opinion, and I hope other games and game makers follow this example and let us console gamers have more mods on more games. It'd be nice to have the editors there too. The inventory system can be a little funky at times, but it's nothing you kind of live with really. You might not even notice it, it's so subtle. The combat is as good as it's ever been, and there's plenty to explore and do, as is the norm for Fallout games. I was, however, a little disappointed that Death Claws aren't quite as hard as they used to be. Although they are still bloody hard, don't get me wrong, I no longer find myself squealing in fear when I see one. Previously, when they smacked you one, they would take off half your health if they didn't kill you. Overall, I'd give Fallout 4 7 out of 10 thumbs. Now, the news. Here are a few games coming next month. FIFA 17, Pro Evolution Soccer 17, Forza Horizon 3, Bioshock The Collection, XCOM 2, Destiny Rise of Iron, Final Fantasy 15, Axiom Verge, Cossack 3, The Final Station, and Ocean Horn. And before anyone says that, I know there's loads more, but I could fill an entire podcast with what's coming out, so... We'll no go there. We're all looking forward to finding out what Nintendo and Sony have planned for their next consoles. Nintendo have confirmed some details about the NX, such as it will use cartridges and it will play other formats. 
and it will be a handheld slash console hybrid. Other than that, there does not seem to be much in the way of confirmed info. There are, however, rumours that it will be AR compatible and that it could cost only a couple hundred pounds or even below. As for the new Sony PS4 Neo, all I've got is a blank space instead of confirmed info. Hopefully that'll change next month. Microsoft, on the other hand, have said that their coming console, Scorpio, will be the last of the generational machines. And I, for one, look forward to finding out more about it and see what it's going to be capable of. The console wars are heating up, folks. Tune in next month and we may have more news on the coming consoles. Next up, more music.
Back in 1991, a game was released that sent many kids into a scream fest. The fast manic action, coupled with the odd tracks like bedrooms, bathrooms, gardens, snooker tables, even a bath. The game is Micro Machines. I first played it on the Amiga, but it was released on loads of platforms, and has had at least four other releases. The graphics were way beyond what we were all used to in racing games at the time, they just seemed a bit more polished and had more thought put into them. This was a game that encouraged you to get friends involved and compete for bragging rights. It was certainly not a game for quiet kids. Overall, I'd give Micro Machines 8 thumbs out of 10. And this is another that you could play on your browser. And guess where you can get linkage to it? If you see the Facebook page, you, you just want a coconut, go and buy one. Bev from Facebook Land has done a review for me. Ark Survival Evolved is an action-adventure survival video game developed by Wildcard. In the game, players must survive being stranded on an island with roaming dinosaurs, natural hazards and potentially hostile human players. The game is played from either third-person or first-person view and its world is navigated on foot or by riding a dinosaur. Players use firearms and improvised weapons to defend against hostile humans and creatures. With the ability to build bases as defences, the game has both single player and multiplayer options, with the latter allowing players to engage in simultaneous gameplay. One of the game modes, Survival of the Fist, was released as a free standalone back in March this year. Egypt-based developer Instinct Games were the ones that were to blame for that. You begin by creating a character on one of the two available playable maps, the island or the centre. Your character awakens naked and alone, except obviously for wildlife, on your chosen map. And you must contend with a multitude of different problems to survive. Immediate problems are hot, the cold, food and water, shelter, clothing, some form of defence. Players have got to learn a variety of skills, called engrams in the game, to be able to make better equipment and be able to build throughout the game. For example, the easiest clothing or armour in the first engrams unlocked for this area are cloth pants, shirts, gloves, boots and hat. From there you can upgrade to hide, then fur, gilly, all the way to riot. You can also create scuba gear because part of the gameplay is underwater. Each of the types of gear you unlock at higher levels, and each provides different armour and insulation properties. Chitin, for example, has a higher armour protection than fur, but obviously fur is going to keep you warmer. Part of the gameplay experience is learning which types you need to use, when and where. Weapons are many, and range from simple slingshots and clubs to assault rifles and cannons. Again, all are unlocked at varying levels. Different weapons can be used for different things throughout the game. For example, you can use a long rifle to shoot bullets or tranquilizer darts. That way, you can take an animal down and you can try to tame it. It's not all about ranged weapons though. You can also create swords and shields and spears and all that if you prefer. Food and water also have varying levels in the game. Right off the bat, you can go and gather berries and drink out of a stream and various other water sources. But you can learn a water skin ingram, which you can use to store your water and then you can go explore further. And that can upgrade later to a jar then canteen. 
The berries can be used for a variety of things, from creating dyes and narcotics to adding in to your own custom-made cooking recipes. Obviously, there is the opportunity. If you can kill something, you can get meat for it and various other things. The meat can be eaten raw, but you'll take a hit on your hit points. If you cook it, though, it's far better, which is kind of obvious, let's be fair. But you can combine things whatever way you want. And it gives the game a slightly better cooking experience than a lot of games. Lastly, you can build a farm to grow four separate types of advanced crops. Savoroot, Rockarot, Citronal and Longgrass. These are preferred by many of the herbivores in-game and will speed up taming times for those animals. They can also be used for creating kibble, which I'll blather on a bit about later. Shelter can be anything from a cave to your own hand-built house. Caves can be found throughout maps, but are open to wildlife until you learn the Engram gates and walls to block them off. However, most players prefer to build their own houses, starting with a one square room with three walls, door and roof all built in thatch. You can also build from stone or metal. Obviously you need to level up in order to get the more advanced stuff. You can also build a greenhouse, which will help you grow your berries and crops a lot faster. And each differing material obviously has many different levels of usefulness. Thatch, for instance, won't stand up to attack from any creature larger than a Dilophosaurus. And stone, obviously just the larger creatures can break through that, but metal, none of them can break through. So obviously, metal is what you're going to want to go for. Now comes the fun part, the local wildlife. There are many types of creature in Ark, not just dinosaurs, but dinosaurs are the majority species. You've also got insects, monkeys, fish and some mammals. Immediate dangers when you begin the game in safer areas of the map are Compsognathus, commonly known as Compes, Dilophosaurus, Maganura, which are large dragonfly type creatures, and Titan Myrma, that's ants or beetle type insects. Although these are not the only creatures in those areas, but they are the most common starter types of dangers. If you enter a river or pond, you're going to have to contend with saber-toothed salmon and piranha. In the ocean on the shoreline, mantas and megalodons will attack you on site. Most of the wildlife can be tamed, but a few cannot. If you knock them out and keep them unconscious, you can then feed them their preferred foods and that's how you tame them. Even if all you've got is a slingshot, it's worth a try. Compays will only tame with raw, prime meat, but as they're very small, one or two species is all you need. The bigger dinosaurs, however, they're going to require a lot more meat. The smaller the animal, the quicker they're going to come back to consciousness. The bigger the animal, the slower. Most of the tameable creatures can be ridden as mounts, which you can also attack on. The ones that are too small to be ridden can either be carried on one shoulder or ordered to follow and attack. All creatures can be ordered to follow your character or follow another creature of your choice, though some are better than others. Among the fastest riders are raptors and galimimus, megalosaurus females as well. Some of the most useful gathering are megalosaurus males, castoroids and doedicarus. And don't forget the little ankylosaurus. The fiercest mounts are the tyrannosaurus rex and gigantosaurus. Some combine all three traits however, such as the saber-toothed tiger, which is fast and deadly and gathers chitin. Each creature will also drop certain items once killed, 
like meat, for instance, bone, horns, and it's gone. Many materials are found and needed in Herc. Everything needs components to be made, whether it's food or armour or weapons, buildings, tools. You're going to need stuff to make stuff. And you've got to harvest, mine them, gather them, all by hand or by dino. When you start, you need to make tools for survival. An axe, a pickaxe, clothes, shelter, fire. All of these things have specific ingredients to make. To make the clothes you need fibre, which you get from bushes. To make a stone pickaxe, you're going to need stone, and wood, and thatch. Once you have your pick, you can then gather flint, which is needed for the axe. Once you've got those basic tools, you can do everything much more simply. Weapons will also use these ingredients, along with oil and metal, obsidian, and a number of other items that you can gather in the game. This is a game you can play alone, but most people tend to band together in tribes in the game world. Your tribe can access your gear, houses and dinos and use them unless you use locks and electronic keypads to keep others out. Being in a tribe grants you a number of privileges to make taming in battle with other tribes easier. If you have a tribe member with one of the giant birds, they can pick you up in the bird's claws and fly you over a dino or building, which you can then shoot up with trunks to tame or obviously if it's an enemy base you can blow up with rocket launchers. And obviously the more people it's in a tribe the more flyers and shooters and such and that makes battle in taming easier. It's not just about flying though, you can go underwater but more happens on land as you try and survive. Now it's time to have a moan or maybe sing the praises of something or someone game related that matters to you. Gary emailed to have a moan at Konami he said, I've been a long time fan of Metal Gear, ever since I saw someone play Metal Gear Solid. So I played it myself, and I was hooked immediately. I decided I was going to play the rest of the series. Then last night, I saw a video review for Metal Gear Survive, a four-player zombie co-op game. Really? As if that's not been done before. How was something original, yeah, numpties? Did you copy and paste most of the damn thing? The only thing I can hope is that Hideo Kojima buys the rights and gives us a game that we deserve. Beat Konami for this abortion. Beat them good. If they do this again, I will probably gouge my own eyes out with a rusty spoon. Well said, Gary, and thanks for the mail. Stuart from Facebook Land said, I regularly complain about how slim instruction booklets are these days. I liked when games came with a novel-sized booklet with a proper background story for the characters and every control explained. Then, of course, you get that repeated in 12 languages. Good times. Couldn't beat the excitement of reading it on the bus on the way back from the shop. Lucky if you get a paragraph of story these days, though. On the plus side, games are actually cheaper now than they used to be. When I was young, a game was new at full price for six months. Now it's half price within a month, downloadable for a tenner or two months, and sometimes it ends up free on Xbox Live Gold. I was looking for Beyond Good and Evil recently for the GameCube and just downloaded it for free from Xbox Live. Cheers Stuart, I missed those days too. Flight sims were often judged by the weight of the English only instructions, the heavier the better. Ian from Facebook says, I have a moan about how entitled gamers are these days. Take the recent launch of No Man's Sky. Great, brilliant game, but because it was missing a few features, only hinted at during development, never promised. The beep hit the fan, and the pitchforks were out within 24 hours of the game's release. What happened to the days where you were happy to sit for two and a half minutes while the game loaded? Where you sat 
all day on a Saturday typing out code Drummer Magazine to run your own game. But you had to physically touch two terminals on the back of your C64 with a paperclip to insert a poke. And for the younger players out there, a poke, that's a cheat code. Gamers have it far too good and far too easy these days. Remember folks, if you want to have a moan or praise, just drop me an email to gamers underscore thumb at hotmail.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Gamers Thumb. Next month, what I plan on doing is having a word, hopefully, with a few developers. So watch this space. We're going to be played out by Brittle Head Girl. This is Gamers Thumb. Thanks for listening. See you soon, and keep the thumbs twitching.